Hello everyone, Rainy back with another, and last, series of playing with myself on the internet as I play through Miru 2. Now don't worry, I'm not done, but I do want to take a few minutes at the top of this episode to talk about the state of DMs After Dark and my place in the coming months. If you don't really care to hear about all that and just want to get to the episode, skip ahead to three minutes and I'm pretty much done rambling there. I'll keep it quick, but you may have noticed I'm not playing in the main RuneQuest stream with the crew, and I've kind of been in the background just doing the off-week podcast drops for a while now. Between life getting busy with a toddler, covering for Troy on another streaming group's actual play stream, and my home games, I just don't really have a lot of time. It's a bummer, I can't play with my friends on the stream we all started together, but at the same time, when Christian suggested doing a longer form campaign, I think I was the only one against it. I was really firm in my belief that we started DMs After Dark with the core mission of putting out actual play examples of smaller games that deserve more recognition and play. And I feel like we've kind of drifted from that, with a 6 plus month long campaign that's going at least another half a year probably, plus our plan to do our upcoming thousand year old vampire game is shaping up to look like a pretty long series as well. So. While I'm not leaving the DMs after dark, I'm going to be starting my own podcast feed in the near future, where I'm going to be doing more solo play stuff, I'm going to be doing short play series with hopefully members of the DMs when they're available, as well as friends of mine, and collaborators I find out there in internet RPG land. If you want to play a game with me, you know, hit me up when I get the other stuff set up. Maybe we can work something out. Now, when we need a random one-shot, or if RuneQuest takes a break, I'll be right back there goofing like I always do, don't worry, no hesitation. I'll also still be behind the scenes editing all the audio, handling the Instagram, so this is probably all a lot of melodrama that is unnecessary, but I felt like I owed it to listeners to let you guys know where I've been and where I'm gonna be. The separate podcast feed probably won't be up until winter or early 2024. I'm gonna give myself some time to get a head start on recordings work up a little bit of a backlog, work on finishing up some games I've been designing for a while that just desperately need layout and I can just put them out, and set up socials and all that. In the end, hopefully you just enjoy even more content coming out of our little crew, just in two separate places. Now enough with all that. Let's play some more Miru. To recap Miru 1, my brother was killed by a robot. I ventured out into the unknown for justice and revenge. Along the way, I picked up valuable survival skills, weapons, and tools, helped folks with quests, hunted down a variety of treasures, narrowly escaped death multiple times. After weeks of trials and tribulations, a giant machine awakened and began to roam the wilderness. That machine was what I blamed for my brother's death. Eventually I confronted it, and through sheer luck and determination, I came out on top. I killed the last god. With my mission complete, I went back home, but after arriving in my village, I discovered my people had migrated east to survive. Soon after I realized I didn't actually kill the god, I only destroyed one of its bodies. The ground shook, and in the distance a second god machine appeared. 
its eyes locked on me, it began to head in my direction. Fearing for my life again, I started running east. Miru 2 begins one day later. Mechanically, Miru 2 functions very similarly to Miru 1. We're going to be doing the same thing we were doing before and creating a hex map as we explore it. It's a little different and there are some new rules in Miru 2, expansions upon what we went through last time. In this one, the optional rule for Miru 1 to track weather is mandatory as part of exploration rolls. We're going to roll to see if weather becomes something that we also have to factor in for the day. There are adverse weather conditions that are going to impose certain penalties, but we're going to explore those as they come up. There's also a new condition. Before there was stun and burn, now there's also poison, and poison looks pretty bad, but we'll have to see how it goes in play. Now something really cool is that because we completed Miru 1, we got to port our character straight over. So. If you are picking up Miru 2 and haven't played Miru 1, there is a way to create a character and you have a certain amount of skills and items and things like that. But if you listened to my Miru 1 series, you know how, and this is probably me being overconfident, our very strong protagonist here, dissociated protagonist, is pretty well set up to start Miru 2. And again, there will be cutscenes on certain days, but day one starts, I've just run away from the newly emerged flying god that is making its way towards me, and I have sprinted. One day later, I know it's not gone. And we get to go back to rolling for new hexes all the time. I'm so excited. So, before, if you guys remember, I would grab my 4d6 and roll. Now it's 5 because of weather. So I've got my different colored d6 here. And we're going to do the first roll of Miru to see what terrain and what we get up to on day one of Miru 2. Oh boy, that's those are some numbers. Okay, so just like Miru 1, our terrain die are the same. If you roll a 1, it is a small injury, and then the other numbers deal with the different types of terrain. So for day one of Miru 2... I rolled a 2, so we are in the forest. Then we check our weather die, which changes based on each type of terrain. So I rolled a 4 on my weather die, which means no adverse weather. Oh, well, sorry for the tease there. We will eventually deal with some weather. And then our event, I rolled an 11. And you know what that means. We're starting right off with an encounter. Our last die is the clarification die, so I rolled a 6 on it, so we are starting with the highest level encounter in the forest on day 1 of Miru 2. That's how we go. Let's do this. Traveling Adventurer As you hike near the edge of the dark forest, you hear a tree limb snap. You quickly turn your head to see what's about to attack you, but it's just some goofy guy with a large backpack. He apologizes for scaring you and asks what you're doing way out here. He points out not many of the helper bots go in this direction because of all the deranged androids in the area. You ask him if he's seen a group of people traveling through the area, and he tells you he hasn't seen a soul in weeks. He offers you some of the cool things he's found on his adventures if you have the bits to trade. 
and I do have 25 bits left over from Miru 1. He's got some meal bars, Journal 1, which I actually didn't get, I got Journal 2 before, and Treasure Map 7. So he kind of rustles through his backpack and he's like, I got some food if you need it, man. I, you know, I'm pretty good at traveling out here, bro. He's like, I got this journal. He goes, I found this uh, in some building. He goes, I got an extra pair of sneakers. There's some light shoes, but I already have some. And he goes, and I found this weird map, but I can't really figure it out. I think it's encrypted. So I'm definitely going to buy some meal bars off of him, the journal, and the treasure map for nine bitlets. And this is a repeatable event, unlike many of the others in this game. So that's cool. Wow, I thought I was going to be in a fight right off the bat. Instead, I found a really nice dude. I should probably warn him. There's a giant flying robot god coming, so you should get the hell out of this forest. So let's mark down that I have a treasure map 7 to decrypt, some more meal bars, and a journal. Which, journal 1 is... Also a bow and arrow technique, this is the electrified arrows. So less attack bonus, but it inflicts stun. And I would say, that's a pretty good day. As always, we've ended the day, we've resolved the encounter. So we go to camping. We just got some meal bars off of this guy, so we're going to eat one of those. We are pretty low on food. I was pushing it towards the end of Miru 1. And we use our improved camping gear. We are already at max health. And we don't start starving or dealing with sleep deprivation. So we go into day two. Heading southwest. Let's roll to see what we find. Oh yeah, we're back, baby. It's swamp time. For our weather, we rolled a two, which says heavy rains on day two in the swamp. Now, heavy rain comes with a penalty, I believe. Minus one defense. It prevents you from gaining EP while sleeping. So, any EP I use today in the swamp on abilities, I'm not going to get back when I sleep tonight. This heavy rain is just drenching me through my sleeper's leather jacket, and you know how it just wears down on you. So, our event dice came up a two and a one, which is three, which is just enough for ruins. And our clarifying die is a 4, so we get Ruin 4, Tunnel to Hell. You find an old concrete church. Oh, this is like Miru 1, back to our religious iconography. The interior walls are decorated with thin wood panels that are moldy and falling apart. The colorful stained windows are full of grime and spiderwebs. You notice an entrance down a set of stairs next to a misfigured metallic statue. Do we go down? Oh, if you've listened to my Miru 1 playthrough, you know that I've pretty much made all the bad choices you can make. But this is day two, so yes, we are going down those stairs. After flipping forward and seeing, I think I actually made the right choice. Saying yes to walking down the stairs, it says, you step forward but a cloaked android places his hand on your shoulder and advises you. You better leave before they come back. And that's all the warning I need. Go find a place in the swamp on a nice, mossy mound, and sleep away from this weird church. We've had enough weird experiences in these churches. I should have known better, but saved myself some real weird stuff. 
And now at the end of day two, we have our first cutscene of Miru 2. You eat dinner and find a good spot to sleep. In the middle of the night, you hear the screeches of the winged god searching for you. Your nightmare is catching up to you. I do not sleep tonight. And the god appears on your day one map tile. It will follow and stay one tile behind you. The god moves when you sleep. Until day five, if I roll a minor injury while discovering terrain, finish the day as usual. But we have to skip straight to day five. Oh boy. So day three begins. One level of sleep deprivation, luckily offset by the sugar in our meal bars, as we continue fleeing from this winged god. We're going to keep going to the southeast. And let's roll our 5d6. Luckily, we did not roll a 1 for a minor injury, and we are still in the swamp. This time, our weather die was a 4. So instead of that rain, we are dealing with a dense fog. Ooh, I think I'd prefer the rain. Because dense fog says minus two to attacks and prevents you from escaping fights. Our event dice came up a ten, which says encounters in the swamp. And our clarifying die is a five. So encounter number five says... Wrong note. You find a large wood mansion out in the middle of nowhere. Inside, the floors creak and the walls are covered in spiderwebs. There's a piano that still makes noise, but it's very out of tune. Moments after pressing a few keys, you hear a noise from upstairs. You slowly walk towards the front door, preparing to run away, but a large monster of a robot crashes through the ceiling. It looks like two Buster T7s welded together with the human face of an android. The dust settles and it collects itself, turning towards you. Its eyes glow white in the dark. Ooh, this thing is terrifying. And I have minus two attack, and I can't escape. Alright, quick refresher on Miru combat. Enemies always go first, and then it is our turn to attempt either techniques or just to make basic attacks with our weapons. This thing has 18 hit points and three defense, and looks like it hits pretty hard. We do have... A defense of 7 against robots, so it's not going to hit me too hard unless I'm unlucky, but I should watch what I say. So it drops down in front of me, eyes glowing white in the dark, as I attempted to flee the mansion. Let's see how much damage it does. Of course it does. That is a 6 for max damage, meaning I am taking 11 minus my 7 defense against robots. Means I take 4 hit points worth of damage. In response, I'm going to try something dumb. I grab my solar-powered taser, which did manage to charge in this densely thick fog day, and I'm going to attempt tech skill number four, which is the EMP bomb. I have to roll 3d6, and one of them has to come up a one, but I really want this skill to be better than just a one, and this could attempt to stun it, so let's see. I did not get a one, so once again, I toss this EMP... And I think my character shakes his head and just goes, all right, I got to stop doing that. As this thing gets a second chance to attack. 
and luckily this time only rolls a 1, so its 5 damage is mitigated as I was kind of prepared for that to fail, and I get my hacked minor shield up in time. However, I've yet to hit this thing at all. So now I'm going to get serious. Pull out my laser sword, roll and slice the wires behind it, attempting to slow this thing down. Since I have that tech skill mastered, I don't have to roll because I automatically succeed. I spend three energy points to get plus four to my attack with my laser sword, which already gives me plus eight to attack. So I'm dealing 13 damage with this technique, minus its three defense is 10 hit points worth of damage against this creature, bringing it down to eight. Oh, I'm sorry, I have minus two attack, so it is at 10 hit points. Stupid fog. It's up again. And rolls middling for four, which is eight damage minus my seven, so I only take one more hit point worth of damage. And I'm going to continue to just go wild on this thing. Looking like a character out of Dark Souls. Roll, slash, roll, slash. I have the EP. I'm going to use it. That's another eight points of damage, bringing it down to two. And its last, hopefully, attack is only a one. So I offset the damage. I'm getting too mobile for this thing. And then I'm going to finish it off with one thrust of my laser sword, which will be enough to overcome its defense and get those last two hit points bringing this thing to a surging stop. Our first combat of Miru 2. I did take some damage. But, remember, we now get to roll 3d6 to see if we get any cool rewards from this thing. And we'll also flavor it like what's ever in the mansion. So, rolling 3d6, I'll roll my cool 3d6 I got from Full Moon Dice. I usually use these for damage, so let's see. They're the ones I needed. I got a 7, so let's see what we get for rewards. Just because of where I'm at at the beginning of Mirror 2, I'm going to turn this into 6 pieces of fruit. We're going to say that the mansion, in the middle of one of these rooms, a tree came down, opened up a canopy, and luckily, somehow, a fruit tree began growing in the forest here. So I've got 6 fruits, which will help me stay alive and not starve like I did at the beginning of Miru 1. <laughs> and between those fruits and a mansion to sleep in with my improved camping gear, I'm almost back up to full health and full EP. I did have to take two EP back off because I forgot the heavy rain didn't allow me to recover it. So almost back to full as we head into day four. We're going to head due south from this one just to switch up that southeast bearing. See if we can throw off that god as it's following us in the sky. 5d6. And we got our first four for terrain, which is grasslands. Our weather is a six, so no adverse weather in these grasslands here. Our event die came up an eight, which is ruins, just missed encounters. And our clarifying die is a three, so three in ruins. Remnants of a suburban neighborhood. It says, instant satisfaction. You find a boarded up building just before you decide to camp for the night. You notice the insides glowing with lights. You break down the boards covering a window and crawl inside. There's almost a perfect time capsule. A fast food chain created in the late 20s. Their gimmick was that the place was fully automated, even solar powered. There's a screen that displays a computer error but it's in some kind of cryptic language you can't read. 
You hop behind the counter, find an open register, and get five bitlets. Surprisingly, a pile of meat in the broken freezer isn't covered in mold. It actually smells pretty fresh back there. It's bizarre. You camp in the store that night. Then there's a little logo here. Let's see what that is. It's a, It looks like a rain cloud. Oh, okay, these are consequence badges that you can earn after completing some events that open alternative paths. And since I don't have that, I think I just ignore this. All right, so we camp in the fast food chain. That should have had a question like, do you eat this weird old frozen meat? To which I would have said, no, I have fruit. And we awaken on day five to a cutscene. The god has caught up to you. You wake up to the ground, shaking. The flying machine makes a loud, ear-piercing, metallic screech. You grab your bag, and you start running. Move to a new tile. This tile is a forest, and it is raining. We're going to head northwest and kind of double back on ourselves. As you run, the sounds of the forest behind you warp and snap in half as the god pushes it all out of the way just to find you. You come upon a massive concrete structure on the edge of the forest and run inside. You hide behind a crumbling pillar as the giant eyes of the god peer through the side of the building. A woman's voice blares out from the face speakers. I see you. There is no escape. This game ends now. The building starts to shake as you see the god's massive arms swipe away the concrete pillars left standing. You run into the structure, narrowly jumping down a set of stairs before a massive amount of concrete and dust seal the space above you. You stumble around in the dark as the crash from above echoes all around you. After a few minutes, you hear a loud metallic screech that fades off into the distance. You are surrounded by darkness. You hold your arms out as you walk and hug the walls. You walk for hours. Eventually, you see some light up ahead. You start running, jumping over the old subway tracks. You head towards the light and push away the thick vegetation blocking the exit. You've made it through the other side, completely covered in dust. You stand out in the rain and let it wash away the last few hours. You camp at the edge of the subway tunnel tonight. The god is removed from the map, its location unknown. Continue exploring as usual, except at the beginning of your day, roll 1d6 before you move. If you roll a 4, skip to day 10. Okay, so we get a free forest tile, and then we begin our day at the end of this subway tunnel, and I get to roll 1d6. Hopefully it's not a 4. Here goes. Oh no. It's a four. Skip right to day ten. Oh my goodness. Alright, let's keep reading these cutscenes. First thing, it says, move to a new tile, roll for terrain and weather. Here goes. I got desert and no adverse weather. So, emerging from this subway tunnel out of the forest, it makes sense that this subway station, this subway stop, would be in an urban place, which is like the desert. Alright, so it is a desert, it is an urban subway location with no adverse weather. 
I guess the rain from earlier has passed or moved through. But as I'm walking along a dirt path, someone wrapped in cloth from head to toe approaches me. She unwraps the cloth from her face and says, Hello. It says you may recognize her from your last few weeks, but we do not. She tells you she's been following you for some time now. She's been on the hunt to take down the god, too, but had to stop a bot that was tracking you down early in your journey. She's been watching your back ever since. Why do you think you've had such an easy time? She says. She couldn't stay silent too much longer as you were heading deep into android territory. She explains, Half a century ago, Alora upgraded the minds of all operational androids at the time. She shortly abandoned them, and many moved to this region to start anew, changed from their slave lives for humans. Time has... not treated them well. She unwraps her arm to show you most of her skin has fallen off. As the global network of supplies collapsed, so did the resources to make new skin for us. There was a bug in Alora's update. It opened us up to an infection we call rust. Makes our bodies act without rationale. She hands you an inhaler. She tells you it only has one puff left in it, but if you find a village with other androids, they should be able to refill it. It'll cure you from being poisoned from a rust-infected android. As you think about asking her to join you in your search for your people, a loud metallic screech pierces the air. Huge metal claws scrape the ground next to you. The god flies above you with your android friend in its hand. It squeezes, and she pops in half. The god drops her body at your feet, flies down in front of you, and steps on her body. You are disrupting a delicate ecosystem. A distorted voice blares through its speakers. Its large metal arm swipes at you. Holy sh- okay. Okay. Uh-oh, guys. Uh-oh, guys. This is a god fight. 50 hit points, only 3 defense, an impossible escape score, and it's going to hit pretty hard. Although luckily I think, yeah, it's only going to deal damage on a 5 or a 6, but that damage is not going to be a joke. Alright, it swipes its arm out, rolling for the god, and starting strong with a 5. So I'm going to take 6 damage right off the bat, and that's after my 7 defense against robots. Oh boy. Already down to 14, so not a great start. I'm going to... I instinctively reach for my taser, and I think to myself, throw it, and then... I think better of that, and I say no, and I just jam it into this robot's hand as it attempted to claw at me. And that is going to deal 10 damage to this robot, minus its 3 defense is 7, but it does potentially stun the robot. So it is down to 43, and I get to roll a d4 at the beginning of its turn. If that comes up a 4, it skips its turn. Here goes. I just rolled a 4, so it can happen. Nope, it's a 3. Alright. Rolling for damage. Another high roll with a 6. So that's another 6 points of damage for me after defense. I'm already down to 8 hit points. As we said, this escape value of 9, I cannot make it happen. At best, I can get that down to an 8. So I gotta start hitting like a truck here. Gonna use my tech skill, laser sword, roll and slice. That's gonna be 14 damage between the laser sword, the tech skill, and my Alora deck, which is gonna bring it down another 11 hit points down to 32. 
Luckily, this robot that the god is controlling has pretty low defense. Here goes. I really cannot afford to roll another five or six on its attack. It's been swiping at me and swiping at me. And I rolled another six. Five, six, six for this thing's attacks. I'm down to two hit points. These claws are digging up earth, even if they're missing me with the bulk of that sharp metal that is just digging. The ground itself is just kind of tossing me all over. I'm falling to my knees. I'm hitting rocks. She's tossing me two hit points. I cannot take another five or six on the dice. All right, but I'm going to keep it up. I have the energy points to spend. As we said last time, a roll and slice with my laser sword deals 14 damage, so that's 11. Keeping it going, that brings her down to 21. I just need to survive two more turns. I will burn all of this EP. Here goes, rolling for the god. Come on, please. These laser attacks have to do something to slow her down. Finally, okay, rolled a two on that one, which is only good for three damage. So now she's starting to slow down. I've hit her with this laser sword a couple of times. Her swipes are getting more erratic. She can't pinpoint where she's going. The creakiness of her metal body. She's focusing more on flying than her swings at the moment. So I'm going to raise my sword up high and once again slash at the wires. Her fingers aren't articulating as well. She can't get all of the fine aiming that she used to. She's down to 10 hit points. I am down to two. The flying robot god crashes into the trees and is going to attempt one more swipe with its claw. I rolled a four, which is seven damage, but I have seven defense. I just survive. In a last-ditch effort, she uses both of those mechanical hands as the winged god crashes to the ground and she just attempts to bring them both down on me and pummel me to death. But once again, I dodge, rolling away from the two hands as they land and bury deep, deep into the soil. I've rolled out of the way. I raise my sword. I run up this god's arm and screaming into its eyes and speakers, I bury my laser sword into its face. Oh my god, I can't believe I just survived that. Five, six, six on the first three rolls. It was the only way it was dealing damage to me. Wow. Holy cow. The cutscene continues and says, After the fight, you bury the remains of your android friend. But that night I have a nightmare. That the night I find my people, they all have four eyes. Oof. Okay. Before we rest and eat and everything like that, let's go ahead and roll 3d6 and see what we can get for rewards from this god. That's a big roll. Not super big because there's a 1. But a 13 could get us quite a bit as far as if we combined and split up our things, but there's also the general stash, which has some cool stuff, cool new stuff. There's a Molotov cocktail, a hatchet, a baseball bat. I'm going to pause to see if any of those are better than my laser sword, but I doubt it. Yeah, they're not as good. So we can use our 13. We could get the special reward, which is five spare parts. I already have five spare parts. I don't know how many I'll need to craft, but I'm not going to take that. It doesn't seem very fun. I'm going to keep doing this lame. I'm sorry. I 
you know, there's probably better things to do, but I'm going to say that on my Android friend, there were six meal bars. And just make sure that starvation isn't going to be the thing that kills me. Plus, I'm going to need them to heal right now. So, here we are in an urban region desert. I'm down to two hit points. We're going to gain four from our improved camping gear. So that brings us to six, and meal bars only heal us two hit points, and I can only eat three. So I'm eating three meal bars, which will bring us up to ten hit points, and we'll be at fifteen energy points. But still at half health, moving in to day six. Oof, before I roll day six, can I just say we just did like two days worth of cutscenes just on day five? If that was somebody's real day, I mean, honestly, I'd probably not even travel that day. But also, do you want to stay around the rusty metal carcass of the god that you just killed and has been hunting you? So no, I guess we do keep on going. We're back to our southeast direction, and we're going to roll our 5d6 to see what we find. We are back in the grasslands, and the weather is good. No adverse weather. We rolled a 4 for our event, which is Ruins, and our clarifying die is a 2. So in the grasslands, we are hot on the trail. You walk through the remains of an old town. The streets are littered with signs that many people camped here recently. Many of their belongings remain behind as if they left in a flurried rush. You find four bitliths, three more meal bars, and a raincoat. Oh man, that is exactly what I needed after yesterday. Maybe they fled when they saw the flying robot coming my way, only one hex away. Kind of makes sense. You're welcome, people. I hope you're all okay. Also, thanks for the raincoat. I don't know if I can wear the raincoat over my leather jacket. For sake of simplicity, I'll say yes, because it just negates rain effects, we'll say it's more like a poncho. But that's actually really great. And we get one more day to camp, so that's four more HP and EP from our improved camping gear. And I'll just eat one, maybe two of those meal bars I just got. So that's going to bring me pretty much back up to full, almost. And we can head on to day seven. And we are reaching our first week here in Miru 2. We will head... We'll head northeast this time, and just keep kind of doing this back-and-forth snake kind of thing I ended up doing here. And let's see what we get with 5d6. A 3 brings us to the mountains, our first mountains of Miru 2. Weather, not great. Harsh snow. Oh, goodness. Our snow gives us minus two to our defense, and we don't regain hit points at night. So I really hope, oh, of course, I shouldn't even have said it, rolled a nine on the event die. So that is an encounter, and that encounter is a five, which says, the good steward. Oh, oof, maybe this is a good thing. Nope. You find a herd of sheep grazing in the grass at the bottom of the mountain. An android moves them along and towards his orchard. You strike up a small chat with him, and he tells you about the joy he's found being alone and tending to his animals. 
When you arrive to his orchard, he lets you take five fruit for your journey. He offers you a bed to sleep in that night in an extra room of his little cabin. And there's another one of these consequence badges that I do not have. It's a little cowboy hat. Oh, and I see how these work now. If I had it, I could skip the event, but unfortunately, it says here. In the middle of the dark night, you both hear the sheep screaming, along with a distorted metal screech. You follow the android outside to investigate, and a deranged humanoid machine with its bottom jaw missing is clawing into the sheep left and right until it spots you two and attacks. This is an android that has been corrupted, presumably, with rust. Alright, here goes. It lurches forward and swings at us. Let's see. Of course, I rolled a 4, which says 8 damage, and it has a little poison symbol next to it. So, that inhaler my android friend gave me is going to be useful. Let's look up how poison works real quick. Oh boy, it's brutal. So it works similarly to sleep deprivation and starvation, where every day that I am poisoned, it's going to tick away at one of my health reserves. So, poison starts after 5 days. It's 2 EP, then 4 EP, then 8 EP, so eventually you can't regain EP. And then after five days, your body goes into sepsis and you start losing HP. Luckily, I have the inhaler. I don't even think I'm going to let it fester for a bit. This is brutal. And I still take a damage from that robot. So one hit point worth of damage and I've become poisoned. But now it's my turn. This thing has very little defense and only 10 hit points. So let's see if I can just take this thing out. And just to switch it up a little bit. I think I know how I'm going to do it. This thing is charging at us and manages to claw me, but it's using the dark to its advantage, and I think it runs by like a skirmisher and flees off into some like slightly high grass. But what I do is I pull out my bow and arrows, and I run the arrow tip against some, like a ferro rod that I have, and it lights up in a flame. And I wait for a second and I track it and I loose my arrow. No training needed on the burning arrows one. So I hit this android with a flaming arrow. I deal one base attack plus six for my strong bow is seven. Plus three for the burning is ten. Plus one for my Allura deck is eleven. Minus its two defense is only nine damage, which brings it down to one hit point. And as it is standing there pulling this burning arrow out of its android flesh, the burn damage just slowly melts away something integral inside of it. So as it is running towards us to come for another attack, it just stumbles and falls right at our feet. Oh, I hope that guy has some sheep left. Poor android dude. I get to roll 2d6 for a reward. Oh, finally a good roll. That's an 11. I could get two spare parts for the special reward, but I don't think that's worth it. I think for saving the little bit of sheep he had left, I'm going to just split that six and five and get six more meal bars. <laughs> He's just going to keep feeding me. I Can you guys tell that in Miru 1, I had an issue with starvation? So stocking up on food big time in Miru 2 as we finish day seven with an unfortunate 
sheep incident. I imagine it's hard to get a good night's sleep after that, but our character wakes up on day eight, ready to begin the second week of another journey. The first time in Miru 1, it was to track down this robot god. Now, it's to run away. Let's roll our 5d6. See what we find on day 8. More grasslands. And it is raining. But, got my poncho. Got my raincoat. Thank you, villagers. So I ignore the effects of the heavy rain. Our event dice totaled a 6, which is ruins. And our clarifying die is a 6. So it is the Tampopo. Out in the middle of a field is a lonely train cart. You walk up to it and notice a sign on the door that says, Now open. You walk in to find a ramen restaurant and a very broken android behind the bar. He offers you a seat without saying a word and flashes a menu in front of you before quickly taking it away. <laughs> he rushes into the kitchen behind a curtain and after a few minutes of pots and pans clinging, he comes out and places a bowl of hot water in front of you. He bows deeply and gets stuck in the position. You look at the bowl of hot water, back at the android chef, and then back at the bowl. You grab the spoon and take a long slurp. You stand up and head out the door. You turn back to him and say, That's the best soup I've ever had. You turn to leave and hear his broken speaker squeak out, Thank you, my work here is done. <laughs> you flip the sign on the door to say closed and head out. <laughs> That's a great event. That's so funny. <laughs> I want to hang out with that android. We're not asking him to come along? Eh, I guess he's earned his retirement. But that's easy enough. That was nice. And with that, after the snow in the mountains, we are able to regain all the way back up to full HP and EP and move in to day nine. It's not efficient, but I like this snake method that I'm doing across this map. So we're just going to keep continuing straight north and see what day nine brings us. Still no minor injury, and I'm sure I just jinxed it. But we are still in grasslands as we head north on day nine. Our weather is a one. It is still pouring rain. And our event dice came up a nine, which is an encounter this time in the grasslands. Our encounter is clarified by the die, which is one. So it says, quiet and lucky. Oh man, am I really getting lucky so far in Miru 2? Other than rolling the 4 and fast forwarding to day 10. But you find a massive concrete structure with the word hospital slowly fading away on it. You walk in to find trash everywhere, like there was a rush to leave all at once. You find 10 arrows and a strong bow. Oh nice, I'll take the arrows. In an office room and you climb over a pile of crushed wheelchairs and walk up a flight of stairs. As you're walking down a hallway, you hear a loud metallic screech. You instinctively dive into a nearby room. Roll 1d6. Here it goes. It is even, so I'm going to flip to the page and see what happens. Another lucky miss of an encounter here. It says, you peek your head out to see a rusty android roaming down the hall. It doesn't seem to notice you. You wait and hide until it roams somewhere else. Looking around, you find two bitliths in the room while you wait. And just checking to see what 
odd would have been. I would have had to fight another one of those abominations, except it would have had a laser arm. So, you know, probably could have won the fight and gotten rewards, but probably better to not chance it in a game like this where I've had so many things go sideways. And, uh, yeah, spend the night in the hospital. And we've hit double digits in Mirror 2. Normally, Day 10 would be an event, but, you know, we accidentally triggered that super early. So let's go ahead and roll. We're going to go northeast and just keep this snake train a-rolling. Four for more grasslands. Weather is three, which says extreme winds. I do not have something to protect me from that. Extreme winds says minus one to attack and you don't get to sleep tonight. Makes sense. Our event dice came up a seven, which is ruins, and our clarifying die is a four, so it says an anomaly. You find a bizarre concrete building out in the middle of a farm. A hundred birds sit on a scarecrow and android splayed out. You find a hatchet and five fruit on the trees near the building. You walk around this odd Eden and find paperwork in the office that calls the place the Anomalous Farm. You sit at the concrete bar and stare at all the cider bottles that have evaporated over the century. That's a shame. The Anomalous Farm. Ooh, I wonder if that's going to matter because it's bolded in the text. But, get some more fruit. Got a hatchet, so that's cool. Definitely useful in survival situations. And that night, we will eat so we're not starving, but we do not sleep, so we suffer one level of sleep deprivation which, again, is offset, at least right now. The two EP we lost is offset by our our gear and our food. But let's go ahead and roll for day 11. We're going to head straight south and just keep snaking along this hex map. Still no minor injuries. And we're back in the swamp. Rolled a 2 on our weather, which is heavy rain. Don't worry, got that rain jacket. Gotta have that waterproof stuff when you're going into wetlands, folks. Invest in it. Our event dice came up a 7, which I am sure is ruins. And our clarifying die is a 5, so... What a jam! You walk along a road filled with rusty cars. They've been waiting in line to get on a ferry that would never come. You follow the line of cars until they reach the edge of land and face a large lake. You search the first car in line and find three meal bars and a raincoat. Nice, just keep stacking up that food. You camp in the car that night. Northeast and southeast are impassable because of the lake. Mark your map accordingly. Nice, I like that. In a map making game, I love that idea of being like, here is a large natural feature. That's cool. All right, and that means that we continue our cool snaking as we're heading straight south on day 12 into desert again this is a swamp on the side of a lake ferry across here so this is probably the suburban area where people were coming from we got a one on our weather for the desert which is extreme winds so again no sleeping tonight got a seven on our event dice for a ruin oh no this is an encounter and our encounter is a three so let's see what happens in the desert E3. 
self-actualize. You walk through an empty apartment complex. Most of the apartments have had their doors kicked in. Moments after you strike luck and find two meal bars and some bitliths, you hear a loud crash from down the dark hallway. Ooh, I have to pick either the poison consequence badge or the cowboy hat consequence badge. Ooh. Oh, I don't have to pick it. It's different if I had those. Gotcha. So this says, you peek your head out to investigate and a massive eight-legged helper F2 is climbing along the walls. It spots you right away and rips the wall apart as it darts towards you. All right, an abomination helper F2. It launches. Let's see what it does. A six on the damage. This thing is pretty hefty, actually. 14 hit points, three defense. And on a six, it deals 10 damage, which is going to be three hit points lost. And again, remember, tonight, I'm not regaining hit points because I can't sleep. So it crashes into me and we tumble down this hallway a little bit. I'm going to get out my solar powered taser. And again, I can't throw it. This thing is on top of me with its eight legs. It's like a spider of a helper F2 bot. And I just hit it with my taser. And you know what? I don't think there's any rules for roll and slice. It just says melee weapon. So I think I'm going to roll out from underneath it. Use the three EP and get plus four to the damage on this, which is going to make this deal 15 damage. So that's going to bring this thing down to two hit points and potentially stun it. Let's see if I roll a four. I actually do. So as it tries to start moving towards me, the jolt of electricity from my taser kind of causes its legs to not all work at the same time. And it falls on one side as its eight legs are not cooperating with it. And that gives me time to walk up. I'm going to pull out my hatchet that I just got. And I'm going to just, you know, in those movies when someone just keeps hitting even after they don't have to. That's what I do to this thing. However, I got to double check something because I think that that treasure map that I have that I got from that adventurer on day one, I think that that can get decrypted here. Placing an encrypted disk into a dead helper F2 or a radio tower allows you to decrypt it. Solve the codes and roll 3d6. Place the treasure using the sum of all three dice on the priority map. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Uh, I find that when I'm hacking this thing away, it has like a disk drive. It almost looks like, you know, just a call back to the fun stuff. This is supposed to take place roughly in this modern time was the time of the apocalypse or whatever. But imagine if it was a floppy disk. All right, here goes. 3D6. I got a 10. So it helps decrypt that treasure map. And a 10 is two tiles to the southeast is where treasure map 7 holds its sweet, sweet stuff. So I'm going to mark that on my map. And the howling winds will prevent me from healing tonight. But we get to move on to day 13. Closing in on two weeks. Here we go. We are in mountains once again. And that wind has not stopped. We got extreme winds again. Six on the event dice, which are ruins. And the ruined die is a one. So it is the dig site. I really got to get some of these consequence badges because they're all over the place. You find an android obsessed with archaeology. He's convinced a few friends to help him go on a digging excavation. He looks you over several times and tells you it's surprising what a better atmosphere has done to the human form in even just a century. 
He also says you look like you haven't had a decent meal in ages. He gives you a small sack of three fruit and tells you that they're from a nearby orchard. He asks if you happen to come upon a watch for humans. Bring it to him, and he'll give you something really special. I have not found a watch, unfortunately. And while I can't heal HP tonight because I'm not going to sleep because of these winds. Oh, that's two nights of sleep deprivation. But still not offset by my good camping gear. At least I'm comfortable. But tomorrow, that would be three nights in a row with no sleep. Which would bring us to... Oh, sleep deprivation hits EP. Oh, bummer. Still stands, though. We are not at the point where we're losing it. Because we're at least comfortable at night. Tomorrow we would lose 8 EP, which would bring us down, but ideally we don't have extreme winds tomorrow. We're going to go southeast and we'll be one tile away from getting that treasure map, so let's see what day 14, the two-week mark, has in store for us. Ah, there it is. The one. A small injury. Some days are just harder than others. You look around the area and hurt yourself. Take minus two hit points and damage. You remain on the same tile and nurse your wounds. Alright, well, so for weather, I did manage to roll high enough that the weather is fine. I will not be dealing with extreme winds. I will be able to at least sleep off my injury. And you know what? That's a very appropriate place to end our two weeks. Started strong. I feel like I explored so much of this map compared to Miru 1. I feel like I just filled in so many hexes. But... We end on a little slip and a sprained ankle, and we're going to go into Miru 2, Episode 2, in two weeks and see what else is waiting for us. This game is so good. I hope that you are all enjoying Miru. Miru 2 has added just enough that it feels just as engaging, but fresh and new, and the monsters have all changed and evolved in some kind of way. It's really, really awesome. All right, time to do the spiel channel my inner Sarah. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to, please rate us and review us on whatever podcast app you use. We are always trying to find more listeners. And if you want to, you can engage with us on social medias. You can find us on all of those. Just search DMs After Dark. We still stream bi-weekly. We're running Six Seasons in Sartar, RuneQuest, every other Friday. Sign in. Twitch chat is always a blast. Even though I'm not playing in RuneQuest, I regularly tune in and just love seeing chat going off. The community for RuneQuest has been really great, and we hope that everybody who's been with us for a long time is loving our longer form game where you can see characters develop a little bit more and grow, and we don't have to just recycle them every few months. If you want to reach out to us directly, you can email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. We love getting emails and talking to people about whatever is on their mind. Anything RPG, anything nerdy, geeky, board game, card game, whatever you want. Just say hi. We're social people. We love hearing from people about what they love. And do I have anything to apologize for? Yeah, you know, sorry life gets busy and I'm not in the main stream as much anymore. But, you know, as RuneQuest comes to an end... And when we start doing other things, maybe we go back to short series. Maybe we continue doing campaigns and my other thing ends up being almost something that fills in an every week content thing for the DMs with an expanded cast or something. Who knows? But 
until next time, accept some ramen from a broken down android and slurp that up good. Good night. <laughs>